The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. The differences between a constitutional republic and a democracy, why a republic is better for everyone, due process and the right to be believed, and why the Kavanaugh hearings should worry every young person today. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is the show exclusive to the Blaze, where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. It's great to be back. Sorry about last week. Um, for those of you that don't know, there was no show last week because of Storm Alley. You know, Ireland is is great in many ways, and we're lucky and blessed that we don't have many storms. But when we do, we're really not prepared for them, and issues crop up. And we don't get anywhere near the amount of storms they all get in America. Um, Last week, or the week before, when we got at Storm Alley, we had like winds of like 100 miles an hour, and the power got knocked out, and we were without electricity for, I think it was a day or something. And basically no chance to record a show and get it over to the lads in in Dallas to to edit. So apologies for that. We have a jam-packed show for you today. One of the things I want to focus on to start with is because I want to talk to you about one of my biggest frustrations with your culture, with your media, with your politicians. And this is on all sides. This is not a left-right issue. Everyone uses this word. Everyone loves to talk about America as a democracy. Everyone loves to say, oh, America, you're a great democracy, and democracy's wonderful. I'm long outspoken in saying democracy sucks. But one of the things I want to do is I actually want to explain to you and lay out what the differences are between the constitutional republic, which is what your founders wanted. It's not really what you have today, but it's what your founders wanted and what is located in the Constitution of the United States. And I want to take a quote-unquote great democracy, you know, a great democracy that's been around a long time, that's respected around the world, that has a lot of precedent and, and, and lineage to it, the United Kingdom. You know, the United Kingdom is, is technically still a monarch because of the Queen, which we're going to get into in a minute, but it is very much a democracy. And I want to compare and contrast and give you the, the differences of why of the difference between the United Kingdom, and I'm also going to include Ireland in this, and the United States, and why the United States is not a democracy, and then I'm going to tell you why I believe a constitutional republic, while not perfect, is the most perfect system of government. And I'm going to explain to you why I love your constitution so much, like why I actually fundamentally love this document. Because all it is is like a roadmap. And why I believe if you actually start returning to the Constitution, a lot of your problems that you're facing today, you solve. So let me just start with the bodies to start off with. Because the United Kingdom and Ireland are very similar they have to the United States, where they have three bodies. Three bodies of power. 
In America, in case you don't know or you've been living under a rock, the three bodies in America are the House, the Senate, and the Presidency. The House is called the People's House. It's elected every two years. Full stop. Every two years you have an election. The Senate is... And I'm going to talk to you about history, not today. Today you have directly elected senators, which are elected by popular vote. And they are elected every six years. So every two-year terms, every two years you have a third of the Senate up for election. And then lastly, you have the presidency, which is elected every four years. In the United Kingdom, they have three bodies. They have what everyone knows as the House of Commons, which is the, the, the... what your version is, is the House of Representatives. When you are elected to the House of Commons, you have a five-year term. Now, before you go, Jesus, John, five years compared to two, that's a lot. They, that, no wonder democracy has problems. It's not that simple. Let me, we'll get to that in just a second. The second body, which is the House of Lords. The House of Lords actually has, it's what it's called, it's what it's, you know, you hear everyone, if you hear in the media or you hear people talking about it online, they'll hear about the House of Lords. That's actually not its title. It has a really interesting long title. The long title, just in case you're interested, is The Right Honourable, the Lord Spiritual and Templar of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. I'm only going to say that once because, you know, I tend to butcher words. As Some of y'all get great humor in, by the way, um, how I butcher certain words and how I say certain words funny. I always say you, you come here for the accent, you know how to pronounce words. If you want, you know, how to dialect and how to, to pronounce your oars the right way or, you know, certain words, go elsewhere. I'm not your guy. I butcher words. I should not be on the air. But... That is the, the House of Lords. Then the third body, which you have as the presidency, England has as the queen. Ireland is very similar. We actually use the same terms as America. We have, we have parliaments, which is the doll, which is your House of, of Representatives. We have a Senate, and we have a president. So we use very similar titles. And the reason I'm including Ireland in it is because the presidency in Ireland is very similar t- to how the founders wanted the presidency in America to go. So where is the power located in these bodies? Well, if you go through the Constitution, the Constitution actually says this, all power shall be vested in Congress. So Congress is your House and your Senate. And the way America is set up is that the House and the Senate are co-equal branches of government. So either body can actually start a piece of legislation, can start the legislation process. And then what happens is you have legislation. Let's just take an example. It's drawn up in the House. And then the House votes on it. And there's only two parties, the, the Republicans and the Democrats. You take it up and then it, it gets a, yes or, a straight yes or no vote. Obviously, there's lots of procedures which I'm not going to get into because it will complicate things. But generally, simply, you have the legislation. It's drafted in the House or the Senate. They all vote to it. And then it goes to the other body. And then they, they vote on it yes or no. But they also have the option, which you usually see, is where, let's take healthcare for example. The House will draw up a health care package. The Senate will draw up a health care package. And then usually what happens is the, the ruling party will call a vote on it because they'll only call a vote if they think it's going to pass. And then the House passes theirs, the Senate passes theirs, and then they come together 
for reconciliation and for different processes. And usually what happens is it's a negotiation. Well, you have this and we have that, so, hey, we'll add both or we'll take out both. And then they'll come together with this one bill. And then they vote on it again in the House and the Senate. And if it's both passed, the new bill with the concessions or the new amendments because of the two bills been different... If they both pass, it's now law, and it goes, sorry, it's not now law, it's passed by Congress, it goes to the president. And the president under the Constitution has two jobs. One, it's to sign legislation and make sure it's enforced. Or two, if the president doesn't like it, has the power to veto. That's America. In Europe, it's slightly different. All power is not vested in Congress. All power in the United Kingdom is vested in the House of Commons. And all power in Ireland is vested in the Dáil, which is the House of Representatives. And they come together because they are directly elected. They are the directly representatives of the people. In Ireland and in the United Kingdom, but in Ireland, the Senate is not directly elected. The Senate in Ireland is actually nominated so we have a certain amount of people nominated by the Prime Minister. So what happens in Ireland is when there's a general election, the y'all there's different parties, then a if a, one party has enough of the majority seats, it forms a government. If it doesn't, it will get together with some of the smaller parties and form a government. After that, then the certain amount of senators are nominated by the by the Taoiseach. There's a couple of nominations by different colleges, and then there's a set of a um, a good chunk of the representatives are nominated by panels, which is the local authorities. So, if you think of the closest version, it would be the states nominating people to the Senate. In the United Kingdom, it's different. The House of Lords is a big um, different loads of different ways to get in. It. One of them is if you have a certain person in your family who has a title and served on the House of Lords, their their titles can be hereditary and passed on. So let me give you an example. If I'm in the House of Lords because of whatever reason, and then I have a son, I can pass that title on to them and then they pass that through. If you're you can be nominated by the Queen, you can be nominated by the Prime Minister. It's all very political. But they have very little power, the House of Lords and the Senate in Ireland. And in democracies, the second body usually has very little power. It can't create bills. It does have the power to review them and mend them and then send them back. But they don't have the power to prevent laws coming into effect. They don't have that power. They don't have that check and balance. Literally, all they do is, if I may use constitutional language from America, provide advice and consent. But if they don't get the consent, it's not like they can stop it. It's not like they can filibuster or, or that their vote is really needed. It's just more of a... It's more of optics. Now, the thing you have to bear in mind here is the House of Lords especially is very political in that the Prime Minister gets to pick a lot of people. So you always have... You know, the Prime Minister is not going to pick people to go to the House of Lords, and likewise, the Taoiseach in Ireland is not going to pe- pick people to the Senate if they're anyway controversial or if they're not, if they're going to have a mind of their own. They're usually people who'll go, Look, I just want to go and I'll serve and, you know, I'll provide my advice and consent, but I'm pretty much going to vote with you all the way. They're not there to cause trouble, shall we say. Let's put it this way I'm not getting, a, I'm not getting called to the Senate by any politician because. Well, <laughs> my, my my advice in consent would be no, 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 usually. And then what you have then is the president in Ireland signs the legislation. 
the Queen signs the legislation. And the Queen has very few powers in the United Kingdom. I'll focus on her for a second. Um, the One of the bigger powers she has is she has the power to suspend or call back Parliament. So if there's issues going on in, in, con- in Parliament, I keep saying Congress, but it's Parliament in the United Kingdom... If there's issues in Parliament, she has the right to say, look, you know, we need just to calm down. Y'all go on a bit of a vacation for a while. Just calm down. The tensions are too high. Likewise, if they're on summer vacation or Christmas break or whatever it is, and something happens, she has the power to call back. Um, She also has the right then to, she would sign bills into law. Now, technically... And here's where precedent matters. Technically, the Queen has the right to refuse what they call her assent to a law. So basically, she has the right to say, I'm not signing this into law. You need to work this out. Something you need to bear in mind. She does technically have this power. The last monarch to use that power was Queen Anne in 1708. So America wasn't a country. America wasn't even... America wasn't even an idea, I think, back in 1708, you could argue, the last time the Queen refused to give her assent to laws. She does have the power to give titles and orders and nobility. So if you if you ever follow England, England loves its titles. They have earls and they have dukes and they have OBEs and MBs and knighthoods and all these different things. They love titles. The Queen Lords gives them. And every year, I think it's usually around January, there's, there's the honours list of people who do great things. And they're all for show. You know, so you'll get different people. In case you don't know, England does these honours, OBs and MBs, and, like, you give them to sports people. You give them to... So, like, if... Let me give you an example. If, let's say, there's a great rower or a great bodybuilder or a great someone who, you know, does something in the Olympics, great swimmer, and, like, they dominate it and they get, like, three gold medals or two gold medals for for the United Kingdom, you can be pretty much sure the next January they're getting an OB or some type of title. Um, if like if, if England ever won the World Cup, you can guarantee those boys are all getting titles. And, you know, you have different titles, and they're always carried with you. So sometimes, like, it's an OB or an MB after your name. You also have these titles like Dukes and Earls and Dames. You get to get, you know, you get to use them forever. The Queen also has the right, it's more of a formality, where, you know, if the Prime Minister decides, hey... I want to, you know, dissolve this government, you have to go to the Queen and ask her approval. Likewise, when you have an election and then you have the right to form a government, you have to go to the Queen and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to the Queen now to say, I want to form this government. The other parts of power the Queen has, which is very, very familiar with the Constitution, the declaration of war. So she has that right to declare war against other nations. In practice... It's done by the Prime Minister and the Parliament. The other thing you need to bear in mind about the Queen is she's free from prosecution. Under British law, she's above the law. She can't be prosecuted. She's also free from any civil action. She also has another power, two other powers, which are very familiar with America. One, she has the right to the royal pardon. So in history, the royal pardon was usually given to take away from death sentences. If people were wrongly convicted and the royal pardon would come in and say no. England doesn't really have death sentences anymore. So now it's more, um, you, she gives awards, or she, no, she doesn't give awards, but she, she gives errors, pardons to people who have been you know, sentenced in the wrong way. And she also can give pardons to 
people who were prosecuted in the past who would have their records you know affected permanently the most famous example of this is probably alan turing in case you don't know who alan turing is alan turing was an incredible incredible mind they actually made a great film about it i can't remember the name of but uh, benedict cumberbatch is in it you know sherlock um, basically, Alan Turing was a code breaker in World War II. His crime that he was sentenced for was being a gay man. And, to, you know, a lot of people say, well, he was gay, he's a criminal. Um, the Queen actually gave him a pardon and said it was not at the time because sadly he actually killed himself. It's a really tragic story. If you, you want something, if you're sitting here bored at the weekend, Google the life of Alan Turing. It's a really, really, really interesting life. And a really tragic life as well for someone who actually really was a hero, who a lot of people today would not be alive if it wasn't for Alan Turing. And for some people, all they see is a gay man. The other thing uh, that is very similar to the United Kingdom, the Queen is head of the armed forces. So when you pledge your allegiance, you are Her Majesty's armed forces. You're not the Great Britain or the United Kingdom's armed forces. No, you're Her Majesty's armed forces. So you are. she is the commander-in-chief. So that's the three bodies, the powers of the three bodies. So what is different to America and democracy, and why are the big issues? The first big difference is in actually how you have an election. So in in America, you have set elections. You know this November there's going to be elections. 2018, there is elections. There's going to happen. You also know in 2020, the, the presidency's up. You know the House is going to be up again. You know a third of the Senate is going to be up for re-election. And you can set your date by it. You know, we can, I can Google when is the election in 2020. I can Google when the election is in 2022. I can Google it in 2024. I can Google it and you have that set pattern. Whether politicians are doing great jobs or horrible jobs, you know when the next elections are. You don't have that in a democracy. You do not have that in a democracy. What you have is a term of office, but it is not fixed. So in England and Ireland, under democracy, the main everybody is set by the, the doll, by the parliament, the House of Commons. They both get a five-year term. They have a maximum of five years, but they can change it. They can do it for political purposes. Let me give you an example of when this was done, and it backfired famously. It was in England. So you all remember a couple of years ago, England had this referendum on Brexit. And they decided, you know what? We're going to leave the European Union. And David Cameron was the Prime Minister. Then David Cameron stepped down. And Theresa May became Prime Minister. Theresa May was going through negotiations. And obviously there was a lot of issues because Labour does what Labour does. And caused a load of problems. And then every poll in the run-up was saying... Jeremy Corbyn and Labour are not popular right now. Every poll was saying, you're not popular. And every poll was saying, the Tories right now, if they, ca- if, they, if they had an election right now, the Tories would add to the majority. Theresa May went to the Queen and said, hey, I want to dissolve this Parliament. I want to go to the people. I, and the reason for it was she wanted a bigger mandate, quote-unquote. She wanted more power for her part for her party because as she was saying was the more power she got the better brexit deal that she'd be able to secure the queen dissolved the government 
people went and people voted and there was many reasons for this but long story short it backfired not only did Theresa may not add to her majority she actually lost um some people now she's still the prime minister but she doesn't hold the same amount of seats as she did prior to the election so it backfired famously that is the difference you have no security they the people there is no limit to what they can do so it can happen after a week after a month after a year after two years after three years it's called the great perk of being the prime minister of being the ruling party that you get to determine when you get to call the election so when you're the opposition you always have to be ready for an election you have to be ready there is no hey we're the opposition now we just had an election we got to wait till 2020 nope you can be you you can be ready next week and you always have to be ready while the powers are kind of similar when you get to the, the, the president and the queen, the biggest difference is the power is all located in the, in the body of the people, which is the, the Senate, or which is not the Senate, which is the House of Representatives and Parliament. What you see in democracy, in America you have two parties. Now I'm not defending the two-party system nor am I promoting the two-party system. But in America you kind of have this simplicity of choice in that you know if you vote Republican or you vote Democrat and they get power, you kind of have that you can kind of guess that they might go off the platform. Now, does that mean that they're going to do it? No. You you just need to look at this GOP. This GOP has a platform of building a wall. It hasn't done it. This GOP for Eight years now has lied to the American people that every election we are going to repeal Obamacare. It has never done it. Sure, it has shown me votes when Obama's president, knowing it will never fail. Now that you have the House, the White House, uh, the House, the Senate, and the White House, where's your show me votes? Uh, nothing happening. So you still have Obamacare. So it, while it, you're not guaranteed it, you can kind of guess the platforms. Like if you had the Democrats, you'd know what it is. In a democracy, in Ireland and England, there's many different parties. Like in Ireland, there's Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gwain, Labour, People Before Profit, um, Sinn Féin. There's at least five parties. In the United Kingdom, it's the same. There's at least five parties. So your vote for the big party or one of the smaller parties isn't guaranteed anything. You're not guaranteed, you have no security of what direction the country is going to go. And the power is always with the minority in government, usually, if in certain circumstances in a democracy. And what I mean by that is, in Ireland and in the UK, not every parliament, so the big parties in Ireland are Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. In England, it's the Conservatives and the Labour. If they, one of those parties gets enough outright to get 50% plus one person of parliament, they can control it. Then you can look at the party platform and kind of go, okay, what are they going to do, good or bad? In the suggestion, which is a lot of times happens, they don't have the majority. So they have to form what they call a coalition government. And when I say the power is with the small people, I, that's usually a good thing. In this case, it's a very bad thing. Because in, there's been times in Irish history and in recent Irish history where they've leaded like three or four people. So you like have 70 people in one party and you need like three or four to get that majority. 
Well, it doesn't matter what the 70 want. They bend over backwards. And usually because it's a democracy and usually because it's socialism, what that means is the people get screwed. Because usually what that means is the three or four people who get to decide whether, you know, a, a government can form power, it's basically a bidding process. Okay, what do you need in your community? What do you need in your area? Okay, you need a park, you need a school, you need better roads, you need better bri- Okay, it's going to cost this amount of money. Okay, just to get us power, we're going to do it. It doesn't matter whether it's needed or not. It's all an opportunity for that politician to go to its people going, Hey, look at me. I fought for you. I fought for you. This is what I did for you. This is my, You see that road and bridge? That's thanks to me, baby. And then they get the, the photo op and then they get to take the picture. That is why democracy does not work. When we come back after this quick break, I'm going to explain to you in greater detail why democracy is not something to be respected and why checks and balances and government and the constitutional republic and the system your founders put in place is so much better. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. If you break it in half and right. you set it down, you go, hey, I just broke that half. It just looks weird. But you're not, nobody takes it then. Right, no one does. Unless you're there when it gets broken in you half. You don't know. You come up. Right. It's like somebody ate half a donut. Right. It's not broken. That's what you And think. nobody's taking a bite of the donut and put it back. You know that. That's it what matter. you think. Right. So then you feel guilty. You're like, well, this is going to go to waste. Well, you, know, you might as well. And I'm kind of the cleaner at my house, too. The morning blaze. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple On Demand On the Blaze Radio Network Thank you so much for sticking with me, America As always, I'm on social media and I'm pretty active um, On Twitter, at Freedom Disciple at, on, on Facebook, at Jonathan Dunn 58 I'm usually more active on Twitter Because, you know, Twitter's a lot more fun And, you know, you, you get to discuss so much more ideas on Twitter Let's be honest And that's, yes, that is sarcasm you're hearing in my voice so, the first segment, I just laid out the differences between America and a great democracy. That was all facts-based. You can, I urge you to check me up and, and do your own research and say, hey, you know, this is where I'm wrong. This has all been fact-based. This is the differences. This is the power and this is the legislation. I'm going to now share my opinion with you. And again, I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm asking you to question for yourself. I'm asking you to find out where you stand on the issues. I'm going to try in my best and as succinctly as possible tell you why. While democracy can have good and noble intents, it doesn't work. And I'm going to tell you, in my opinion, uh, based on facts, why America as a constitutional republic, as the system of government your founders set up, while not perfect, is pretty damn good. So there's a couple of things. The first one is it's a small one. Is I actually believe, and this is where you can tell me I'm wrong, and it's there is no right answer to this, but I actually believe having certainty is good for a country. I actually am a believer that, you know, if you have a fixed term, you have an opportunity to, to um, you know, you have two years. And elections have consequences. 
But one of the other reasons I love the way America was set up is in the United Kingdom and Ireland in democracy, you have a fixed term, but you can call an election any time. But everybody is the same. So there is a chance of a wave election, quote-unquote. America set up this system of checks and balances and to sort of check every balance and, and to have this precedent that, you know, what happens if this happens? And, you know, let's make sure that our system of government and our constitution is strong enough to survive these storms. So let's say you had a populist movement, a movement to, I don't know, Think of anything on either side, you know, whether it's quote-unquote far right, even though that's not a real term, or quote-unquote far left, and you had this real big populist wave to do something. In America, you have a system of government that can stop a populist wave. So let's say in 2018, let's just give a real-life example. There is a, let me actually give you a real-life example. There is a big populist wave against Donald Trump. And there's a big populist wave for... Medicare for all in 2018. In America, you can survive that storm. Whether it's even a po- like I'm maybe to a lot of people, including me, would say that's a bad thing. Even a positive thing, you can survive that storm because all you have up for election in 2018 is all of the House and a third of the Senate. You have that stability. In a democracy in Ireland and England, what would happen is. The president and the queen have no power. So a wave election would basically change all of the the parliament, the doll, or the House of Commons. And then because the House of Lords and the other body and the Senate is so heavily influenced by politicians, that wave election would then influence that body. So there is no checks and balances. You can have a wave election and there is no foundation. It all just goes away. Likewise, you can have a wave... No, there is the side of this that's good. Like, if you have a wave election and, let's say, a real populist movement of... Let me give you something I like that some of you might like. If there was a wave election in 2018 and all of a sudden people went, you know what, Donald Trump's tax cuts are actually working for the economy. Hey, let's go and have a flat tax. And you had that wave election. Sure. Then, if it's positive, then you can see why a wave election could be a good thing. Because you replace pretty much everyone. But America didn't want that. America wanted a very slow-moving body. A body that gave the consistency. And that body is the Senate. It's not supposed to be quick. It's not supposed to be, you know, agile and well out. It's supposed to be very slow and very deliberate and not to get caught up in the wave and wave elections and populist movements. The other thing the founders did was they, they actually had a system of government where they said everyone must have a voice. I know a lot of people won't say this, but that is the fifth system the founders set up. Everyone must have a voice. In a democracy, you don't have everyone having a voice. In a democracy, I don't have a voice. In a democracy, a lot of people don't have a voice because it's populism. It's all based on you have a certain amount of people who are are heavily influenced, which is the cities usually, because they're the most populated. So you think of my my little part of Dublin has three politicians. In my little part of Dublin, and there's many little parts of Dublin, there are states out there, which I'm they're actually called counties in Ireland, but let's just use American terminology. They're called states. 
haven't got three politicians. So be, the reason is because there's not enough people living in those. So the influence of democracy is heavily based on the city. Now, let me give you one example, especially in a place like Ireland, where it is heavily agricultural farming, food population. Do you think yuppie city folk are going to get what is needed in the country? And vice versa. A democracy, while it has the best intentions and it makes sense on paper to sit down and kind of go, okay, well, what we're going to do is for every 10,000 people, every 80,000 people, whatever you agree on, we're going to have one politician. And then you go by the live register and the census in the government. That sounds great. And it can have the most noblest intentions. A lot of people think of democracy as bad. I'm not. I'm no defender of it. But it doesn't mean they're bad intentions. It doesn't mean they're bad actors. They just see things and they go with the most noblest intent. But the outcome, the result, doesn't work. In America, your founders were so smart and so well-read, they kind of went, let's just look around at what other people do. And what they did is they came up with a government which spoke for everyone. Yes, it speaks for everyone. You have three systems of government, three levels of government. You have the House, you have the Senate, and you have the Presidency. And we're going to give everyone a voice. The House is the people's house. It's the House of Commons. It is the House of the people. And we're going to have them directly elected. And we're going to be like a democracy that we're going to base it off population. For every 10,000 or whatever it is, we get one person. So that's why you see census happening, so that you know you can see more people in certain states, getting more representatives and getting more influence. But that is only one body. You then have the Senate, which every state is on the same page. Everyone in the Senate has the same power because every state, regardless of whether you're a high population state like California or Texas or New York, you have two senators. And if you're a state like Rhode Island, which is a significantly smaller population, you also have two senators. That there is no advantage for population or for size in the Senate. That everyone has two votes. Every state has two votes. And the reason that you had this is because the founders wanted the states to have a voice. The reason you have this is because of a thing called federalism. You know, the idea of America is completely different to a democracy because the way they set up. In a democracy, in the United Kingdom, in other countries, in democracies, what you have is the most powerful people deciding what powers they want and pretty much everything else is just left to the lower bodies. It's top-down. America saw this around the world and went, everywhere is top-down. And even if you put yourself in the founder's shoes, they looked at the United Kingdom and went, everything is left up to the king. And anything the king doesn't want goes to parliament. And anything then parliament takes, you know, that the king hasn't already, that's left over, goes to the local establishments. They saw it was top down. It was starts to top and power works its way down. They actually set up a system of government which is called federalism, which is the Tenth Amendment, is, no, 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 we're going to have it exactly different. We're going to have a system of government in place that starts at the bottom. We want local government. We want all the issues, the important issues, to be decided at local level. That is why, if you, will, if you listen to this show long enough, you hear me say the same thing. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. Who does not violate it? 
Because what they set up was a system of government that said, all power shall lie in Congress. And under Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, you have 18 clauses of things it can do. Everything else is left up to the states. The great thing about this system is if you follow the Constitution of America, you can have a socialist America if you really want it. That is actually the beauty of America. People actually I don't get, on all sides, don't get the beauty of this. You actually can have socialism in America and be constitutional. It happens in the states. You can actually go to the states and go, you know what, we're going to pick New York. Because New let's just give an example. New York. Why are we picking New York? Because New York is the financial one of the financial capitals of the world. It's got a great economy. People love going it. Tourism. We're going to practice socialism in New York. Cool. Have at it. I'm not going to say it's going to be a good idea, but go have at it. If ratify your state constitution, and as long as you know one simple fact that if your system, and I would argue when your system goes bankrupt. It's not responsibility of anyone else to pay for it. It's New Yorkers. You vote for it, you go have at it. If you want Medicare for all, have at it in New York. That is the beauty of federalism. Your founders are so smart, they actually said, hey, if you want to be a socialist, if you want to be a utopian statist, you can do this under our system. It just means you just stick to your state. But leave other states alone. The beauty of your system is... When your founders set it up, and not today because it's amended under Woodrow Wilson, the beauty of it was that the state gave senators, they elected senators. So it gave that impetus to make local elections really important. Today, everyone, if you look at the percentage of Americans who vote in elections, it's actually the, it actually is inverted 100%. It's actually the opposite of what your founders would have ideally wanted, the way they set up government. The highest turnout in elections is the presidency. The next highest, like this year is going to be a down year, if, if certain trends continue. It, the amount of people who vote in 2018 in the midterm, this is not an anti-Donald Trump thing or a pro-Donald Trump thing or, or nothing. But historically, if you look at the voting numbers, the amount of people who vote in midterm elections is usually down on what pe- amount of people who vote for the presidency. And then if you look at the amount of people who actually vote in local elections, where they have the most influence on your life, or should do, that's even lower again. Your founders actually wanted the model to be the opposite. Your founders wanted a system where very few people voted for the president. They obviously wanted everyone to vote that could, but that the people, if you said to me, who would vote the least? The president. Who would vote the second least? The House and the Senate, or the House. And who would vote the most? State government. Because those are the people who influence your life the most. Your local state senator, your local state rep, your local governor. They are the people who influence your life. And the reason those elections are so important is twofold. One, because of what happens in your state. You know, let's stay away from socialism. Let's just leave people alone. But secondly, because you have to give a party the power in the state to nominate politicians to go to the Senate. The other power that you used to have under the under this before the amendment to the Constitution, I always get them mixed up. It's either the 16th or the 17th. I always get these mixed up. One is the direct election of senators and the second one is the income tax. But the other advantage that you used to have is when people used to be directly elected by the state, 
you would go there on the state's business. If for whatever reason, a certain politician went rogue in the Senate and said, you know what, I'm going to vote elsewhere. I'm going to vote a different way. They could be recalled. You could be recalling, oh, listen, you're not, you're not doing the business of our state. Bye-bye. Get in and send another person there. You actually had that power, whereas now you don't. If a state senator goes and says, hey, you vote for me, vote for me, I'm going to do ABC, and then all of a sudden gets to Washington and then says, hey, you know what, I actually lied, you've got to wait six years. You have no power, you have no comeback. The founders set up a system where you said, no, you're there for the states. If the state doesn't like the job, you can call back the state, the senator, because it's not about the senator, it's about representing the states. So you have that checks and balances. The other advantage that you have, I believe, as a constitutional republic, is that you have three branches of government that all have the duty to do one thing. It's the one thing they take an oath for. The duty of the const- of each branch and each member in that branch is to serve and protect, sorry, defend, preserve, and protect the Constitution of the United States. That is their job. They all have the power to say, this is unconstitutional, stop. Now, the sad thing about this is, is without getting into the, another different rant, is because of Marbury versus Madison, a lot of people feel it's not their job. A lot of people feel, you know, just taking an out of office is just an out of office. They don't actually take it seriously. Because we live in this world now where you have believed this lie that, well, the moral arbiters of society is actually, and the Constitution is the Supreme Court. I just, I just make the laws, or if I'm president, I just sign the laws. It's the Supreme Court decides what's constitutional or not. That's wrong. You even had George Bush admit this. You know, look, I don't know whether it's constitutional or not. That's, that's the job of the Supreme Court. No, it's your job. It is your job. So you have three branches of government which are co-equal to say, if it's not constitutional, it should not be passed. And it doesn't matter what the House does. It does not matter what the Senate does. If the House puts forward a bill that is unconstitutional, the Senate has the right and the power to stop it. Likewise, if the House and the Senate are run by one party and it's unconstitutional, the President has the right to stop it and should stop it. You have three branches of government, three check marks to stop unconstitutional laws been passed in a democracy you do not have that you do not have that they can delay us but it's not a check mark if one body which has all the power which in england is the house of law or house of commons in ireland it is the doll the parliament if they decide to do anything good for them they can do it because elections have consequences there is no check mark there is no checks and balances. There is no co-equal branches of government. It's one body has all the power and the other two have none. But also, what makes it different to democracy, and this is the biggest difference between a constitutional republic that America is and America set up through its founding documents and a democracy, is what's off limits. What is off the table for discussion? You see, America said our government is fundamentally different to a democracy. You set your government up so many ways that are different to a democracy. Because what you said was, everybody up until America and post-America, with the exception of America, has said this. 
by their words or by their actions or by the deeds. Government is the giver of rights. Regardless of who that government is, whether that government is a democracy, whether it's a theocracy, whether it's a king or a queen, whether it's a dictator, they give you rights. They decide what goes. And it's up to you how much, or it's up to the people, how much power and how much say you have in that. America is different. America is a country that said, no. Rights don't come from politicians. Rights don't come from government. Because we fundamentally believe all men are created equal. And if you believe all men are fundamentally created equal, how can one man give another man rights? If you have that system, or if you can have one man take another man's rights away, how can you then say, well, those two are equal? If I can give anyone rights, or I can take your rights away, how can I then turn around and be consistent and say, yeah, but me and you are the same? It doesn't work that way. So your system of government said, no, all men are created equal. And your rights don't come from government, they come from your creator. Whether it's nature's law, nature's God, whether it's God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whether it is the Judaism God, whether it is Allah, whether it is a mother nature, whether it is a stone, regardless of what it is, your rights come from your creator and you are born with them. But then, because you have certain rights, there are certain things are never up for discussion. And these are enshrined in your Bill of Rights. You have this system where you have a right to free speech. You know, you look at the first ten amendments, you have a right to free speech. You have a right to defend yourself. You have a right to petition your government. You have a right to due process under the law, which we're actually going to talk about in the next segment. You have these certain rights. They are You are born with them. In Ireland, we don't have these rights. In Ireland, it's whatever happens, happens. Elections have consequences. I always use this as an extreme example, but it's true. If a party tomorrow decided, you know what? Jews are the problem. You know what? Jews really are the problem. Every, you know what? The more I think about this world, the more I realize every problem this world has can be linked back to a Jew somehow, some shape, or some way, or some form. If we just got rid of all the Jews, just, just, just round them up and kill them. Just get rid of them. Jews, they're no good. Heck, John, you're a Christian. You know, you don't like the... I do. By the way, this is all just hypothetical. I'm just giving you an example. This is not my opinion. But you go through the system and go, you know what, Jews are the problem. Let's just get rid of them. And they have a wave election. And you have a wave election. You have a populist movement. Jews are the problem. And they actually win power. And everyone goes, you know what, it actually is those Jews. Those Jews, those Jews are bad people. Bad, bad, bad people. And they all, we all go to the polls and we all vote for it. And that party gets power. And then it actually decides, you know what, our platform is, we don't care about tax policy. We don't care about the environment. We don't care about free speech. All we care about is getting rid of the Jews because they're the problem. If we will live in a utopia if we just get rid of the Jews. And they actually f- decide we're going to fulfill our campaign promises of getting rid of all the Jews. Nothing to stop them. Nothing to stop them in a democracy. There is no checks and balances. 
in a constitutional republic, you technically have a power to stop them. The reason you have that power is because you have, in America, you have checks and balances. That if you had that wave election of the exact same thing happening in America, you would still have two-thirds of the Senate who would be unaffected by wave election. You would also have those senators, you would also have a presidency who would have to go along with it. Because clearly that bill would be unconstitutional. You'd be infringing on so many nat- nature's law. You would be taking, it would clearly be unconstitutional on so many levels. Now that doesn't mean unconstitutional bills have passed in the uh, history and they'll continue to be passed. They've been passed under this administration. Article 1, Section 8 is violated on a daily basis. But you have that checks and balances. But you also have a Supreme Court that is there to interpret the Constitution. If Congress, both House and Senate, and both the presidency fails, you have that final power, which is the judiciary, to decide what is constitutional or not. That is why I fundamentally believe, while it's not perfect, America's system is better prepared for checks and balances, for to survive storms, to survive populist elections than a democracy. Is it perfect? No. But you also had this idea of, we're going to have these constitutional amendments. And again, it, it's a lot harder to do. The people today... We do live in a culture which doesn't appreciate America's founding fathers because of the culture. And one part of the culture is this instant gratification. We all expect things to be moving fast. You know, we go, everything we do in our life is fast. You go into a room, you touch a button, electricity goes on. You go onto your phone, internet, access to information. You know, life is quick. Life is, hey, 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 come on, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. You, you push a button and your coffee's ready for you. You know, you live in this instant gratification. We want things now. If we want it, we want it now. America's system of government was never meant to be, hey, we decide to do this, let's do it now. No. There was slow and steady process. You look at the Constitution amendments. If you're going to start taking people's rights away or going through an amendment to amend the Constitution, where the bar is even higher than normal. But you also had two ways of doing this. You have amendments to the Constitution, which has always been done through Congress. But you also have a second way to have it done through the states. Mark Levin wrote a great book on this, The Liberty Amendments. You have those checks and balances that you can talk about. And that you can get people involved in the conversations. America is not perfect. I'm not here to tell you it is. But what I am here to tell you is your founders looked around and saw at other places. They looked at ancient Greece. They looked at ancient Rome. They said, we need it to be about the people. We need to give everyone a voice. Which brings me to the Electoral College. And I'm finishing up on this point. A lot of people are going, we need a direct democracy. You know, Donald Trump is not a legitimate president. Just like George Bush wasn't a, a, a legitimate president because of the popular vote. Again, in America, you are different to set up because you give everyone a voice. Well, John, how can you say America gives everyone a voice? They didn't listen to the popular vote with Donald Trump. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, they did. The reason you have the Electoral College is because you're giving everyone a voice. 
If you had a popular vote, and I'm not saying this, I'm not Donald Trump's biggest fan. You know, I have the, the, the battle scars to show it. But the reason the Electoral College is so great is because you're giving everyone a voice. If it was just about the popular vote, everyone would only campaign in the big cities, in the big ur urban populations, where there is big amounts of people. In America, where there are millions of people, like places like California, places like New York, places like Texas. Do you think anyone would ever see anyone in Rhode Island? Do you think you'd ever see anyone in the Dakotas? The reason you have the Electoral College is so everyone has a voice and everyone has can control or have an influence on the election, not just a few people. If you make it a popular vote, only the big population centers have the vote. Because it will take, you know, if you take places like Rhode Island, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, I would never see a politician ever. Now, I'm sure there are I know people in Iowa are probably going, oh, God, please make that happen. I never want to see a politician again because you, you guys get bombarded, especially you in Iowa. But places in the Midwest will never see anyone because their vote would mean nothing. You would, if you add up all the people who live in North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, you know, the miss, loads of places in the Midwest, they would probably have all of those combined, maybe the same amount of people as New York has. It's just the way it works. The Electoral College, while imperfect sets up and gives everyone a voice that is why i believe in a constitutional republic and what i'd ask you to do is spend some time this weekend and actually focus in on why the constitutional republic is better than a democracy and i also give you a challenge if you're unhappy with your constitutional republic instead of just going oh, america sucks or america needs to be a democracy or you need a popular vote make some suggestions on how to make it better don't go anywhere america we'll be right back this is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. The country has been pushed to the limit. Our political bonds have been torn apart. We need a true leader who can save us from certain doom. Unfortunately, we could only find this guy. Hey, it's Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck is coming live to talk about the right path forward and to make fun of the people standing in the way. He might not be able to save the country, but at least we can all go down laughing. Glenn Beck Live, the Addicted to Outrage Tour, on tour this fall. For tickets, VIP packages, and more, visit glennbeck.com. Disciple on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. Um, as always, this show is growing each and every week, and I'm I'm honestly amazed, and I'm so humbled, and thank you. And it's growing not because of me, but because of you. You're sharing it with family and friends. We're on every major platform. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher FM, Omni FM, Google Play Music, Castbox. Each and every week, it's it's unbelievable, and I, I really, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Please continue to share. Please continue to to share it with family and friends. We're not basing it around the news of the day or the outrages of the day. We're basing it in principles. And a new show is released every Saturday at twelve noon Eastern. Please check it out. And also, I'd ask you if you are on, if you listen on iTunes, especially. Please consider giving us a review and a rating. It helps with the algorithm. It helps us grow and new people to find us. So please, if you listen on iTunes, leave us a review. 
I want to talk to you about the biggest news story of the day, or of the week, and of the month, and of what feels like eternity, i got to be honest with you. But I want to talk to you about it in a different way. I, I, want to, I don't want to make this political. And the biggest news story of the day, and of the week, and of the month, and eternity has been Brett Kavanaugh. I was working from home on Thursday, so as I was working from home and doing some research on different things... I decided, you know what I'll do for fun, because I'm a really dull and boring guy. I said, you know what, I'll put on the Brett Kavanaugh um, hearings, where you had Miss Ford testify in the morning and him in the afternoon, and I watched every minute of that coverage. I didn't watch any analysis of it, because I just couldn't stomach it. I watched it on Facebook Live on C-SPAN, and every time there was a break, I put hit mute, because they had callers calling in, and I listened to a couple of callers. But I don't want to talk to you about the case. I actually want to talk to you about the principles behind it. But before I do, just let me explain to you and share some personal opinions on from an outsider's point of view of what happened yesterday. Yesterday, honestly, if ever I wanted to give evidence of people, hey, this is why you should hate America and laugh at America and just think America is the biggest joke, it would I would give that as exhibit one. I have never seen such disgraceful behavior in all my life. And not by the people involved, the two, Brett Kavanaugh, who I thought did himself. We'll break this down in a few minutes, but... Or even by Mrs. Ford. Who I actually somewhat believe, but I'll explain that as well just in a second. Don't jump to any conclusions. But by your politicians... Your politicians, especially the Democrats, showed how unbelievably crazy they are. There are very few things in this world that are as serious to me as rape. There really are. Like, like I would, I could make an argument, and I, I, it would depend on what day this argument was made. But I could make an argument that rape is worse than murder. I'm not. I don't know whether it, whether it is or not. It's something I go back and forth on. You know, debates inside my head. But like rape, I could actually make a case. I don't know whether I'd win or not. That is worse than murder, because murder, while it is truly horrific, you're in, it's instant. You're dead. You're you're done. And while that is tragic and it is wrong, I'm not trying to lessen murder here. Rape is something that affects you psychologically, emotionally. It has so much impact on you, especially if you're a woman, because, you know, if you've been raped, just imagine if you've been raped and then you're trying to have kids, you know, every time you're trying to get intimate with your partner or your husband, it must be incredibly hard. There's so much physical, emotional uh, and just everything in it. So I think if it's not the worst, it's right up there of the worst things you can do. Rape is not good. It is really bad. It's one of the reasons why I'm like, you know what? As and I know I'm in the mass, mass minority in this. I'm like, if you rape someone and you're, it's there's a high burden of proof, and it's clear you're a rapist, especially if you're like a serial rapist. I'm like, I want to castrate you, but I also want to send you into a box with no cameras, no sound, no nothing, with someone really tough, like a military person, or just five minutes and just let them do whatever they want to you. I know it's not fair, or people don't like it, or they think it's inconsistent, but I just think you should send the message, rape is never okay. That is how seriously I take rape allegations. Yesterday, 
or not yesterday, Thursday, I watched Senate Democrats talk about farting. I saw them talk about brewskis. I saw them talk about being an alcoholic. I saw them talk about baseball games and football games. I saw them talk about anything when it was Brett Kavanaugh's turn. Than rape. In fact, it was so bad. If I actually, if I actually had someone who knew nothing about the situation, and just said, "Watch this. Watch what they're talking about," and told them absolutely nothing, they had they lived in a bubble, and they sat down. I would nearly guarantee that person would go. Is his crime been an alcoholic? Like, is this like you know an intervention that this guy needs to go to AA or something? That is how bad it was. I was watching it and I I just found it unbelievable. I will say this: if you were going to vote for Brett Kavanaugh after yesterday, if you're going to vote for him before all these allegations came out and after yesterday, I'd still vote for him. I'm very unpopular in certain places, and I know I've annoyed one person who listens to this show a lot because they told me I wouldn't vote for him. It's nothing to do with these allegations. I just don't believe he's a purist on an originalist on the Constitution. That's a different subject. But I actually want to talk to you about some very, very important principles that are surrounding this case. That It doesn't matter whether it's Brett Kavanaugh or not. This is just in general that need to be addressed. First of all, you hear all the protesters out there going, everyone, victims have a right to be believed. Every, this, women believe women. So let's not make this about the case, or let's not make this about Brett Kavanaugh, or let's not even make it about the protesters. Let's make it about principles, which is what I always try and do. Does anyone, anywhere, on any subject, have a right to be believed? No. I say this as someone who does a show. I don't have a right to be believed. In fact, I actually don't like it. I get very uncomfortable when people say to me, Oh, John, I love your show, and, you know, I love listening to you. You're my weekly dose of principles, and, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're my base, you're my guideline of, you know, what, what's important. I'm like, no, question me. I don't want that. I don't want you to give me that responsibility. I don't want that responsibility from anyone. I'm like, I'll come here, I'll... I'll do my best to make it about principles. Yes, I share my opinion. I am not a journalist. I never want to be. But I always want you to find where you stand on the issues. I don't want you to trust me. I want you to question me. And I would dare say this about my industry or anybody else. The people who are usually the ones who say, hey, trust me, are usually the people I trust the least. Because they're the people who are hiding something. Don't trust me. Don't trust Glenn. Don't trust anyone. Ever who you listen to, whether it's Mark Levin, Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh, ever who it is, don't don't trust them. Listen to them and question yourself. However, what victims does do have, and everyone does have, you do have a right to be heard. It doesn't matter whether I like what you say or dislike what you say. You have a right to be heard. If you're going to make an accusation against someone, regardless of whether it's Brett Kavanaugh going for the Supreme Court or whether it's me as a host or whether it's just a normal Joe Bloggs out in the street, do you? If I if you say something happened to you, do you have a right to be heard? Yes. 
Likewise, if I am on the receiving end, if someone makes an allegation against me, for example, I have a right to face my accuser. I have a right to defend myself. I have a right to put forward a defense of saying, hey, this is why I'm innocent. This did not happen. Here's why. And both parties, both parties, or ever how many parties are involved, have a right to respect. Yesterday I saw the Republicans be extremely, and I'm not a big Republican fan, be extremely respectful towards that lady. As they should have been. However, sadly the same couldn't have been said for the Democrats' treatment of Brett Kavanaugh. But there are some other things that need to be addressed. We have certain problems in society. And you're dealing with them right now. And no one seems to want to talk about it. Or very few want to seem to talk about it. The first one is... Who is innocent and who's guilty? So if I make an accusation... Am I innocent until proven guilty or am I guilty until proven innocent? And what system do you want to live under? Again, this is not about the Brett Kavanaugh case. This is just a principle. How, what system do you want to live under? Because the system that people are suggesting or about to come out and say they're for is you're guilty if we don't like you. If people were honest right now, People would say, if I like you, you're innocent. If I dislike you, you're guilty. As I was watching Facebook Live yesterday, I was actually doing some research and I was doing some prep, but as I was watching Facebook on my laptop and I was working on my computer, I had the I had the Facebook set up. Um, I'm sure it's the same for everyone. You know, it's, it's kind of like three quarters of the screen and then underneath all the comments. And the comments were coming up live. They were coming up going, hey, you know, this. And what I found interesting was as both that lady was speaking and and that gentleman was speaking, giving their testimony, there were several comments that happened at both testimonies. Excuse me. Just people commenting one word in capital letters. Liar. 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 And it wasn't when the people, the senators or the prosecutor or the the, the 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 lady on behalf of the GOP was asking questions. It was all during their testimony. Is the can, is the idea to be innocent until proven guilty? Or is this, well, if I like you, you're innocent. If I don't like you, you're guilty. Is that a basis you want to set it up on? Because as I watched that testimony yesterday, I will say a couple of things. One, I don't think he did it. I do not think he did it. But likewise, when I was watching her testimony, I think something happened to her. I don't think it was Brett Kavanaugh, but I think something happened to that lady. And I also feel sorry for her. But yesterday what I saw was no one, or a large chunk of people didn't want to know the outcome of the case. They weren't going to change their minds. If you were in certain circles, he was guilty. And if you if you lived in certain circles, she was a liar. 
Everyone was based on political, down the party lines. It was all about the politics. I understand why some people have that feeling of it's about the politics, because the Democrats really butchered this. But who actually wants to believe an innocent until proven guilty? Because anyone can make an allegation. I can make an allegation right now. Should I be believed? The other thing that principle that frustrates me was the sides. Who is consistent about looking for the truth? Who's consistent, full stop? But who's consistent on the principles? And I ask you to close your eyes for a minute. I'm going to give you two scenarios. And before I say these two scenarios, I want to be very clear. These never happened. These are totally made up. But just think of these scenarios. And I don't want you to think about the Democrats. I don't want you to think about the Republicans. I don't want you to think about the media even. I want you to think about your circle of friends. The people you know. The people you know on social media. And ask yourself, would they act the same in these two scenarios? Would they be saying the same things? First allegation. First story. Glenn Beck sexually assaulted me. The allegation I have, and I can tell you times and places, and I have video evidence that it happened, that supports my evidence. It happened last September, and I can tell you how I can have video evidence to prove it happened, is because I was on his show, live, on TV and radio, in his Dallas studios, last September. So I have credibility because, you know, a lot of people, I could get all the letters, I could get loads of letters, I'm sure, from people, from from, fan, from family and friends, people who love the show, of how I've never lied and how I've always acted with honor or tried to. I have the video evidence that I was in Dallas. I have the plane ticket to say I arrived. I have the video evidence of actually been in his studios. Not only was I on his show a couple of times, I was on Pat Gray's show. So I was clearly hanging around the studios. I'm well known. Second allegation. Diane Feinstein sexually assaulted me. This happened 2013. Again, I could get the same letters from people, you know, saying I acted with I do act with honor or I try and I do have credibility. Clearly, I have the hot bod that everyone looks at me and goes, oh, John, I want some of that. So we have that part down. But also, I have the proof I was in D.C. In fact, I have proof I was on the Capitol, in the Capitol and right near the building. The proof I have again is on TV because I think it was 2013. I should have actually tried to remember this. In 2013, I gave a speech in front of the Capitol building. At the abolish the IRS rally. That is on C-SPAN. So I have that supporting evidence. Now, I don't have the supporting evidence to say I met with her. Or that I was near her. But I was in D.C. She was in... I'm guessing she was in D.C. Because D.C. was meeting. But let's make... Even if she wasn't, let's make it about someone else. Now, these are totally made up. These never happened. 
I'm giving you these as scenarios. What do you think the my innocence or guilt? Would I be a liar or would I be brave in either of those scenarios or both of those scenarios? If I made those allegations in today's world. And do I have a right to be believed? These are totally made up. I'm telling you they're totally right up. Do I have a right to be believed? No. I have a right to be heard, sure. But you can clearly, you know, if you ask the right questions or you go through procedures, you'll clearly be able to tell whether I'm lying or not. Who is impartial? Because one of the rights you have in the Constitution is you have a right to an impartial audience, an impartial judge and jury. Is there anybody who is impartial? Is there anyone who would look at this and go, I just want the truth? Is there anyone who actually lives that? I just want the truth. Because for me, like I said it from the start, I, Brett Kavanaugh would not be my nominee and I would not vote for him. Because of what? Of the Constitution. Strictly on constitutional grounds. We went through this in the past and again. I know you don't like this. I'm not bringing it up to rub salt in the woods. I'm just saying. But when these allegations came out, I wasn't thinking, well, he has to be on the Supreme Court. This has to be stopped. Or I wasn't thinking about the Democrats. I was like, I want the truth. If this is true, I want it out. If it's not true, I want him to clear his name. Who wants the truth? Who wants a set of principles to live by? Who wants to be innocent until proven guilty? Because right now, these are the questions you are facing. And it's getting troubling looking at you from afar how everything is about the win. Everything seems to be about, well, what's politically expedient right now? What suits my side? What suits my team? There's only so much that can, there's only so far that can get you. If you build your foundations on quicksand, it might be now, it might be in a couple of years, it might be 10 years, it might even be 20 or 50 years from now. If you build your foundation on quicksand, your house will fall. Because a storm will come and just blow it all away. If you want to be for the future, you must build your house on principles and be consistent. Even when it goes against you. That is especially when you need to be consistent. When it goes against you. When it goes, you know what, look, this really hurts my side, but it ha- it's, it's what has to happen. It's the right thing to do. Yesterday I watched a farce. I watched a show trial. And the sad thing is, the two people I actually felt sorry for, after this, and I'm going to explain why after this break, the two people I felt most sorry for, Brett Kavanaugh and Miss Ford. I'm going to explain why when we get back, but also I'm going to explain one last thing to you when I come back. Why, if you were a kid or you're a young person, you should be looking at these trials yesterday and be absolutely terrified for your future. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.
Freedom's Disciple On Demand. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I hope you're enjoying today's show. I just wanted to give, before we finish up today's show, I wanted to give a quick shout out to a couple of people. We've been doing, we've been selling a hoodie on my personal site, freedomsdisciple.com, raising money for charity. And it's a simple hoodie with a simple message. There's also t-shirts and mugs, male t-shirts and female t-shirts. America making the impossible possible since 1776. We've been blown away by your support and people who have purchased them and people are getting them and sending us pictures, which is just awesome to see, you know, to see you design a t-shirt and then people sending, you know, buying it and then sending us pictures. It's, oh, it's been wonderful. It's not a, this is not about making me money. It's about raising money and awareness for, for charity and for Mercury One especially. So to those who have ordered, thank you so much. I, I am forever thankful. To those of you who are considering it in the future, please check it out. Depending on when you're listening to it, there's some more designs coming out. They're literally just at the final stages. There's two new designs coming out, and there's going to be more as well. They're a great birthday gift. They're a great Christmas gift. Or just if you want to have a great product, please consider checking them out. They're, it's freedoms www.freedomsdisciple.com slash store. Check it out. They're all in t-shirts. You're going to see different products, again, depending on when you're listening to this. But by next weekend, you will definitely see new products, and please check it out. And if you are one of those people who got a t-shirt or a hoodie and you love it, please leave us a review so other people can see it or t- tweet me your pictures at Freedom Disciple. Really appreciate it. So, the Kavanaugh hearings. And I want to share a couple of things why I'm really troubled. And these are not about the politicians. I want to make these about principles. One of the things we need to do in society, I believe, is we need to make it really easy for people to learn the truth. One of the frustrating things yesterday for me was watching politicians exploit people who are ignorant. And I don't mean that as an insult. I understand and I appreciate what it's like to have a job, to have a life. But we need to find a way to educate people not in about the GOP or about the Democrats, but about proceedings. Because yesterday, I saw the constant lie being spun by Democrats about how we need an FBI investigation. We need an FBI investigation. And time after time after time, you would see people go, you know, will you call on special counsel? And will you call on President Trump, Mr. Mueller, or Mr. Mr. Kavanaugh and called for an FBI investigation. It was time, asked time and time again and many different people. This idea of an FBI investigation needs to be explained because FBI to investigate will do absolutely nothing. It was, watch, it was so frustrating watching it yesterday. It was frustrating because, firstly, it seems either politicians don't know, which would be really scary, or they don't care, which would be probably even worse the role of the FBI. If you make an allegation or you call for an investigation, in this case, it's not the FBI you call, it's the local police. If you really care about justice and you want this to be sorted out, walk into the police station and discuss the allegation. Especially in Maryland, where there is no statute of limitations. That's all they have to do. If they really want to get justice, quote-unquote, And this is not about politics, because it's not about the Supreme Court. It's about justice, because we believe women, and me too, and hashtag me too. Go into the Maryland Police Department and make an allegation. 
and get them to investigate. The second thing that was equally frustrating was not understanding why the Anita Hill case was different. Well, you know, in Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas, there was an FBI investigation, so we can... It's different. The different jurisdictions. The reason Clarence Thomas and the Anita Hill case, and I don't want to get into it, but had an FBI investigation, was because Clarence Thomas was an F... Was, was I going to say, was an FBI, was a federal employee... And the alleged crime happened on federal property. Hence the whole Federal Bureau of Investigation got involved. Brett Kavanaugh, while he is an employee now, was not when this allegation happened. And it did not happen on federal property. It happened in a home. That is why you do not have the FBI and the difference between the Anita Hill case and this case. The other frustrating, and this might have been the most frustrating thing, was the credibility. You know, she, she, you know, Miss Ford passed a polygraph. The amount of time that was spent on bullcrap yesterday was really frustrating. Let's just talk about principles for a second. Everyone, do you think a polygraph is reliable? Most people don't. There's a reason they're not admissible in court. Now, think of yourself as someone who I'm making an allegation against. And my sole proof and the sole reason you go to jail or are committed is because of a polygraph. Would you be okay with that? Oh, well, John passed the polygraph, so that's why I'm going to jail. So I'm okay with that. Or would you be like, man, that's, that's not reliable. No, I'm not willing to go to jail on that. Polygraphs are unreliable. Yet we spend this time, this dog and pony show of going through unreliable stuff and saying it. And the sad truth is, there are two people to blame for this. Two sets of people. First of all, you have a media which does not care, which is all about politics. Which is all about gotcha politics. And not doing their job as journalists. But secondly, we have a culture of people who are just see politics and just go, well, what does my team say? What does my team feel? And let's go for it. And that happens on both sides. We need to take down the guards of people. And this is not about Democrats or Republicans. This is about truth. Hey, look. This is why we don't like polygraphs. And explain it to them. Now, will people get it? Some will, some won't. But we need to actually make truth the aim, not politics. It's not about personalities. It's about principles. But let me explain to you a couple of things of why, if you're a younger person, especially if you're a younger person, you should look at yesterday and be scared. And be really scared for your future. And I'm not a fearmonger. I try my best to be optimistic. But what I saw yesterday really troubled me. And it was by the Democrats. Look, is there anyone who can say, you know, at 15, at 16, at 17, at 18, that everything you did made sense? That everything you did was a respectable young man or lady. And that there is nothing you look back on now that you kind of go, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. And I don't mean crimes, by the way. I'm not saying, you know, I look back and say I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't have made that allegation or, the, you know, the, you know, whatever the allegation was against him, you know, the jumping on top of her. I'm not, I don't mean that. I just mean in general. Do you ever think of the stuff you did as a, as a younger person? I can give you some examples, like, you know, as when I was 16 and 17, I was doing stuff that I look back on now, and I'm like, wow. Like, let me give you an example. 
I can't remember what age I was. Um, I you, if you've seen pictures of me now, I'm pretty much bald. I used to have a ponytail. Yes, it's true. Sixteen or seventeen year old John had a ponytail, and John thought it was the bee's knees. John thought he was sexy. John wasn't sexy. John John now looks back and goes, "You had a ponytail." There is a part of me that's jealous because I'm like, oh, I remember having hair. I wish I could grow up. I just wish I could grow a ponytail. I wouldn't, but I wish I could. But yeah, I I look back and you know I remember I was always you know lucky in that I always looked older. So you know I used to go out and have a few beers before I was eighteen. Oh, <gasps> John admitted to a crime. Mm-hmm. Everyone did it. I remember Saturday night you'd go out and you'd have a few beers and it was never about getting drunk. But then you'd go dancing. Go dancing till like three or four o'clock in the morning. It was great fun. I look back on how I danced, I'm like, oh good God. Oh thank God cell phones weren't invented then when when I was out dancing, because man, there'd be videos upon videos of me dancing and you'd all go crazy and all have you'd be busting your butt laughing. But I was watching yesterday and I was like if you ever want to be a, you know, if you ever, ever want to do anything of substance in your life, man, you better be squeaky clean, especially today in this world, because it's all on social media. You better not say anything that's controversial. You better never step out of line. You better never get drunk. Because even one of the things I found funny, and I know it was a very serious allegation, but I, I just, I found it funny every time I heard it was, I don't, you know, you expect to hear things in the Senate, and especially at SCOTUS hearings. I never thought, if you'd sat me down prior to yesterday, I went, why are the things you never expect people to say a lot? I would have said, I like beer. That's one thing I never expect to hear, uh, you know, a Supreme Court nominee say, maybe once, but not repeatedly. Yesterday I laughed, he was like, I like beer, uh, do you like beer? <laughs> Like, this is a crime. Like, we're dealing not with a sexual allegation. We're dealing with, do you like beer? And what did you write in your high school yearbook? What did you write? Were you, were you, you know, because we all write things when you're younger. There's certain things, even, I guarantee you, even now, regardless of what age you are. If you're me and you're in your mid-30s, if I, there's stuff I'll probably write now, and 20 years from now I'll look and go, oh my God, what was I thinking? You, that's what happens. You know, if if knowledge and life experience was you know, in hindsight, we'd all be geniuses. But that's what kind of what makes us cool as well, our personalities. Because, you know, we can we can laugh at ourselves. We can laugh at ourselves. We can go, oh my God, what were you thinking? Like, there's not a time that goes by. I don't I don't look back at me going, I have a, I had a ponytail. God, what were you thinking? Seriously. Then there were times where before I had the ponytail, I had a mullet. Dude, seriously, what were you thinking? Like, honestly. We all make mistakes. But the fact that you could go for a certain job and have that hurt you is really, really troubling. And I fear for our younger kids because what you are doing right now and what happened yesterday, in an ideal world, if you have an allegation of anything, forget Brett Kavanaugh, forget anything. If someone makes an allegation against you, they have a right to be heard, not believed, but heard. And then you go through a process. And it's, you. okay, you've made this allegation. Can you back it up? Can you give me evidence? Can you actually give me, you know, physical evidence, you know, evidence of times and dates and specifics of, you know, to give you credibility that, you know, we can investigate. 
and then you know you go through the investigation and especially if it's criminal you know you, you might go to trial and a charge might be made and you go to trial and then you get to defend yourself and then you get a innocent or guilty yesterday when he was on on talking it wasn't about innocent or guilt of a sexual assault it was just anything can we character assassinate you enough to get people uncomfortable voting for you we're not about truth it's about destroying people are you comfortable living in that world again this is not about brett kavanaugh this is just in general are you comfortable living in that world Because I'm not. I don't want people to be... If, if you've done a crime, especially if you rape someone, I told you, look, again, I'm in the minority. I want you castrated and beaten up by someone. Especially if you're a serial rapist. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the probably, what, 1% of people who would actually say that publicly? I have no problem saying it because rape is serious. But deal with the allegations. Yes, they wasn't. It was so sad. But I'll finish up with these two points. And I want to focus in on Miss Ford for one of them. But they both reflect around her. It was troubling to me that both he and her, after an allegation, got death threats. Got the social justice warriors. I saw some of the comments as I was flicking through toward her and I felt so sorry for her. I don't know. Look, I don't know the answer. I I can tell you what I believe, but I can't factually sit here and go, this is exactly what happened. And the truth is, with the exception of a couple of people, no one can. Anyone you're listening to talk about this story in this case right now can't tell you factually what happened. They can give you your, their best guess or their best opinion. They can't do it. But everyone loves to treat it as, this is what actually happened. I have the inside story. I was inside their brains and I can tell you exactly what happened. But I look at what happened yesterday, especially some of the evidence that came to light. I actually really feel sorry for her. Because watching her, I think something did happen. I don't know. Something did happen to her. I don't think it was Brett Kavanaugh who did it, but I think something happened to her. The reason I say that is a couple of things. One, I feel sorry for her because... In, her te- in one of the parts of her testimony, she and she said it was the same thing in conversations with her husband. She said she was assaulted, and then she said she was sexually assaulted. And then the, the lady asked her, were they both the same incident? She said, yes. So I think something happened to her. But also, one of the reasons I feel sorry for her is because I don't think she wanted this attention. You know, you, when you're around politics, you can, there are people who just want to get the attention and want their 15 minutes of fame. If her testimony was true yesterday, she's not it. I actually think she got stitched up by the Democrats. Because I actually believe there is some credibility to her testimony. She did seem believable. Again, I could be wrong on this. But I actually feel sorry for her because in her testimony, she said, I told, I reached out to my local congressperson. And through her, then I reached out to Diane Feinstein, who is my senator. And I anonymously contacted the Washington Post. I didn't go to everyone. I didn't go to the New York Times. I just went to one paper. But I contacted them anon- anonymously. She said in later testimony, she didn't release the letter publicly. 
So this letter got into the public domain, which she asked to be kept private, and she didn't do it. Now, either one of two things happened. One, Diane Feinstein or her local representative released it, or a member of their staff released it. Or two, all of a sudden, the, the confidential line that the Washington Post had, or someone hacked her and got her information and got the letter. One of those things had to happen if she, if, unless she released it. In a way, I think there's a chance that she got stitched up by the Democrats. The other reason I feel sorry for her, and it was a really telling point, but it wasn't hammered home, was right at the last few questions towards from the GOP representative that they asked the questioner was, how would you go through a thing? Can you understand why that, you know, if you watch the end of it, she didn't hammer home the point because she wasn't trying to make it about politics, but if would you believe if I told you that, you know, when you have an allegation like this, the, it's best not to do this in five-minute increments. That would be best to have an interview where you do most of the talking. She agreed with that. She said, yeah, I, I can understand why that's the case. And what was the advice from the Democrats? Get a liar, do a polygraph. What is so interesting, and this is why I feel sorry for her, if her allegation hold merit, she was treated dreadfully by the Democrats. She shouldn't have done that. She should have been sat down with an expert and just tell me your story and be interviewed and get questioned if this was about justice about the me too quote unquote how this shouldn't happen that's what should have happened it didn't this woman was betrayed by democrats and by diane feinstein and her representative and as women shame on them but this is the last thing we need to have a conversation about And I don't know how you do this. If something happens to someone, and as someone who's been bullied in my life, I can testify it is hard. To speak up and say, you need to stop, is hard. Especially in my case, where when I did speak up, it changed nothing. In fact, it made things worse. It's really hard to speak up. We need to have a conversation in society, not about Democrats or not about Republicans or liberals or conservatives. We need to have a conversation in society about how can we get to a point or what do we need to do collectively as a society that when someone goes through something, that there is support and processes involved that say, okay, you have a right to be heard. Let's deal with the allegation. Let's deal in facts, not opinions, not feelings, facts. And if someone is is treated badly or has been done some wrong against them, that they have a procedure to receive justice. I can understand why people would say, you know what? I was raped 30 years ago and I never came forward. I would say, especially in cases like that, you need to come forward as quickly as possible because it gets harder and harder to prove because the onus is on you to prove they're guilty. You know, if you're waiting even a year, it gets harder and harder. The further you get from a crime or an alleged crime, it gets harder and harder to prove. We need to start having conversations about how we live in this world and make a system that it's in place that's better, that people feel comfortable coming forward against anyone, whether it's a politician, whether it's a doctor, whether it's a policeman, whether it's any part of society. 
and that we set up a system where, okay, you don't have a right to be believed, but you have a right to be heard. And we're going to hear you. And we're not going to automatically assume some malice on your part or some opinion on your part. We're going to deal with the facts. What's the allegation? Let's get the evidence to either support it or prove it's wrong and go from there. Because yesterday, the thing that really made me sad the most is because as I was watching Brett Kavanaugh, I said, I was looking at this guy, I don't think he did it. And looking at how he has been slandered, how he may or may not get on the Supreme Court, I don't know what the GOP are going to do. But even if he doesn't, there's a chance he can't go back to his old job. There's a chance he won't be able to go teaching. There's a chance to a lot of people he'll always be guilty. What's that going to, how's that going to affect his life? What's this, how that's going to affect his kids? We need to start having honest conversations. Because if we don't and we just keep making it about tribes and teams and politics, things are just going to get a lot worse. Things are going to get a lot worse. The future is in our hands. What we do and what we say and what we think right now will have an impact on what we say, do and think in the future. And what others say, do and think in the future. If we only make this about politics... You will lose. If you make this about man, you will lose. If you make this about feelings, you will lose. You may not lose today or tomorrow, even next month or next year, but long term, you will lose. There's a reason houses are not built on sand. There is a reason the most important part of your house is not your building. It is not the house that you see. It is not the doors or the windows or the electricity or the toilet or all the little entertainment systems you have. The most important part of your house that your house cannot survive with is your foundations, the parts you never see. It is what you are built on. Now, if you think solid foundations is the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, I'm sorry to tell you this, you're wrong. Because they change with the wind. If you think the answer is man or feelings or emotions, they change too. The idea is that you stand with principles, even if they're the opposite principles to me. But if there is stuff that you will say, this is what I am building my house on, these principles... And they are solid. We can disagree on the principles, but at least they are solid. These are the conversations we need to start having. And we need to stop making it about politics and sides and teams. Because if we don't, I don't know what happens in the future. But I truly believe a point in time is coming where people are going to go, you know what, I hate the Democratic Party. I really hate them. I hate the Republican Party. I really hate them. And I don't use the word hate on this show very often. But I don't like them. How about we actually start having conversations about solutions? How about we actually have conversations about what we can do going forward? Let's have a conversation. Let, If I dare may quote your founding fathers. Let's have a conversation about what our unum is and what it should be. Because that's what made us different from France and the rest of the world. Out of many one. Not brotherhood. Not teams, not parties. 
Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Please consider sharing with your family and your friends, making it all about principles, not about teams or parties. As always, we finish this show the way we do each and every week. We salute your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. And most importantly, I salute you, the great American people. America is great because Americans are good. And by the way, if you're listening to this at the weekend, go Team USA. Ryder Cup, baby. Time to kick some European butt. It's always the funny time where we talk about the Ryder Cup over here, and I'm like, I don't show for Europe. I show for America. What? Why? Go America. Go Tiger Woods. Kick some European butt. See you next Saturday, America. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.